What's going on, coaches? Hopefully you guys had a great week last week. Uh, coming up on Christmas, uh, hopefully you guys are enjoying time with your families, enjoying some time off of school, uh, and then getting back into uh, all the football fun. Uh, I've seen a lot of different clinics guys are having online. We're looking forward to looking at some of those, looking forward to getting some guys safely in the dojo and and talking some ball with guys uh, in our next season starting in January. So if you guys need anything from us, uh, consulting, or uh, you guys uh, want us to help with your spring football, or uh, like I said, podcasts, videos, uh, any RGP gear you want to get for somebody, a special someone for Christmas, you can find all that at runthepower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Legend Rings. As coaches, we all know the best way to represent our big win is with the championship ring. And the team at Legend Rings wants to help you celebrate your regional and state championship title this season. Their goal is to make your championship ring purchase simple, easy, and affordable from design to delivery. Check them out at legendrings.com or email info at legendrings.com to get started. Let them know that Run the Power sent you and they will make your ring for free. Again, go check them out at legendrings.com. This episode of the RTP podcast is brought to you by our guys over at Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up with their product, as you guys know, uh, and it's been a game changer for us. If you've seen us on Twitter or uh, have talked to us about this at all. We obviously especially love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes, as you guys know, power, counter, inside zone, pin and pull. Uh, and formation so we can save time and be more productive. That's the biggest part. Saves time on defenses, saves time on, on inputting offensive uh, formations, and then easy to draw the play out. Just Play is a limited time offer for RTP listeners only. Get my Just Play Pro for $120, which is an unbelievable $60 off the normal list price. Uh, this offer has been extended uh, and won't last forever. You can get this deal at justplaysolutions.com slash RTP. The best playbook tool on the market at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. Don't wait, go do it today. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to high schools around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program better. Right now, Team Builder is offering a 10-week off-season football training program with a -a two-a-day speed and agility program. This template even comes with videos from some of the top SEC strength coaches that will show you how to run your weight room. Visit their website and enter the code RTP to get the off-season football training template and start your 14-day completely free trial at teambuilder.com. Again, enter code RTP at teambuilder.com, which is team, B-U-I-L-D-R.com. On this episode of RTP brought to you by Legend Rings, we talk with Eric Kasparowitz. Coach K is the head coach at Pine Richland High School in Gibsonia, Pennsylvania. They were just crowned 2020 state champions in Pennsylvania. Listen as we talk with Coach K about building and revising a program every season and reinventing yourself as a coach on both sides of the football. You can follow Coach K on Twitter at Coach Casper. Hope you guys enjoy. I'm born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, played high school at North Hills High School, um, right in Pittsburgh. Back in the you know late '80s, they were you know one of the teams. You know USA Today, they were one of the teams that was number one in the country. Um, you know in the whole United States. You know back in 1987, I was a just a seventh grader at the time, but that's kind of what got me hooked into, into you know wanting to play. I was one of those you know teenagers and or Pre-teens, I guess, just got hooked on football, uh, played middle school, et cetera, um, loved the game. I ended up, as a ninth grader, getting moved up to the varsity. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know if they didn't, didn't have anybody really to play at the position. I was actually a running back all through my career. And then as a ninth grader, I got moved up. And uh, about after the first scrimmage, they moved me over to quarterback again. I think probably just lack of having anybody you know, a better option. I, you know, I was a decent athlete, so they said, you know what, we're going to put you there and let's roll with it. So I, I was a starting freshman on, you know, and we're in the biggest classification in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, you know, so I started quarterback as a freshman. I was a four-year starter at North Hills. 
Uh, actually, the third game of that year, my freshman, I tore my ACL, so I missed the rest of that season, came back. You know, as a sophomore, I think we won nine games, lost in the first round of the playoffs. As a junior, we actually won 10-1 and one and didn't make the playoffs. They kind of switched things around there. Um, and then came back as a senior, and we went 15-0 and 0 and won a state championship um, in the highest classification in the state of Pennsylvania and came very close to being, again, the number one team in the country. Um, you know, like today, the De La Salle's and whatnot. And, you know, recently we, we were as low as nine, I think, two or three years ago. But to be that number one team, regardless of what, what, what time in the – in our, you know, in our years, it was is pretty special. So we got down to number three, um, you know, my senior year as a quarterback for North Hills High School. Um, so I had a good high school career. Um, you know, my, my, my big joke now and anytime I do any speaking engagements or whatnot is I was a parade All-American quarterback myself and, you know, about eight to nine other quarterbacks. And the other big name on there was Peyton Manning, you know, so um, – you know, I'm, I'm sitting here coaching high school football, and he's probably, you know, sitting on a yacht somewhere, probably played golf today, and now, you know, drinking a nice cold drink on his yacht. But uh, just how, how, how our paths can kind of, you know, differ there. But I wouldn't change anything for the world. I went on to play uh, University of Pittsburgh. Um, obviously, I was recruited as a quarterback. And about two weeks in, I think I kind of got uh, duped a little bit. And uh, I said, hey, we, we want to try you out on the defensive side of the ball. You know, I'm only six foot one. Back when I graduated in 1994, you know, that was the time of the six-foot-five, five-step, seven-step drop quarterback, you know, the Peyton Mannings of the world. Um, I think I missed my window to play that position probably about 10 years. Ten years later, I think I would have been in a pretty good situation there, you know, with the, the Drew Breeses and the spread offenses and whatnot. I think I could have kind of excelled in that level a little bit. But nonetheless, played, played, got moved over the defensive side of the ball. Uh, started my sophomore year. I was kind of a nickel reserve as a, as a freshman, didn't get redshirted, played about three or four games, uh, started my sophomore year, tore my ACL the second game of the year as, as a junior, my other ACL now, um, at Ohio State. Uh, Eddie George broke through. I came down to make a tackle, put my foot in the ground, and tore that ACL. Came back as a senior, um, started all, all ten games. I think I was third or fourth on the team in tackles, and, had a couple uh, tryouts here and there, just didn't quite have the speed that I once had. And at that point, I was at a crossroads. You know, I knew I wanted to coach. You know, I, I kind of about probably my freshman year, I, I knew I wanted to stay involved with football, whether it was being able to play or coach. So I, I quickly changed my major um, to education. And then once, you know, kind of once my senior year is over, um, Coach Junko at the University of Pittsburgh, he's actually still there, um, you know, I was torn, go college route or go the high school route and kind of just worked out that, you know, I, I got offered a job teaching high school here in Pennsylvania. You know, you get paid really well. Um, uh, it's really good football. You know, we, we, we pride ourselves in high school football, just like a lot of states do. Um, and I just kind of jumped on that opportunity. I went back to my alma mater, got a teaching job there, coached there for 10 years as an assistant. And after my going into my 11th year, I had some opportunities to move around here or there, but I ended up staying there under my actual previous head coach, Jack McCurry, um, longtime legend here in Pennsylvania. And in 2011, I took my first head coaching job at where I'm at now at Pine Richland High School. Uh, and I'm actually going on my eighth year there. Um, you know, we've been pretty successful. I've been blessed to have a number of great players. Again, up until this past year, we've played in the biggest classification in the state. Uh, we lost in the state championship in 2014. Um, we've won three district championships, um, numerous conference titles, and we actually won a state championship in 2017. Um, yeah, so been a great run, born and bred here in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, got a lot of close ties around the country. I've, I've been the head coach of the U.S. national team for USA football. I've coached in the, the Under Armour All-American All game. I've coached in the the old Army All-American game. So I've been around and met a ton of great great dudes, um, you know, doing – especially during the quarantine now, doing this podcast and doing a bunch of the, you know, Zoom stuff and the chalk wars. And it's the best community out there. You know, football coaches are the best. Um, you know, there's not a selfish bone in their body. And we're all, you know, willing to share and talk about our experiences. And that's what I love about it. You know, hopefully we get back to normal here soon, whatever the new normal is. But just being able to be out there with our team and our players and – um, you know, get back to doing what we love. So 
Well, Coach, I'm interested in one big thing, and and I'm kind of I'm just the offensive line coach, not the you know the the top dog. But I with my time here at Broken Arrow, we've had one year. My very first year, we went to state. We lost the state championship game, and then in 2018, we went to the state championship game and won it. Um, similar, you know, you guys yep. ha- you've been through the same thing. <clears throat> what do you think? What was the difference? What put you over the edge, over the top with um, the time that you actually went and, and won it all? Um, that's been a big one for me to to kind of just trying to figure out. Now, obviously, it's it's kids. I mean, you got to have the players. they got to be healthy. You yep. know, that's a huge part of it. But was there anything else that you found, you know, about that season? Because um, it actually kind of messed me up when we won. Because I thought there was a bunch of ways you had to be and you had to run, you know, weight room certain way and you had to be, you know, always behind the line and always do this. And and then we had a group that, you know, we did a good job of that, but we had done better at that other years. And then that year this group came in and won and had certain personalities on the team that helped us win. What what did you see when you guys did win it, you know, that, that kind of set that year apart, do you think? Yeah, so I got an easy answer, but I'll save that for the end. But I, I think, I mean, we're a big, big, big culture culture program. You know, I, I know when I first started out, my first year or two, it was all X's and O's and showing everybody how smart I am and this and this. and this. I quickly realized that didn't matter. That didn't matter very much at all. It was more the culture and getting the kids to play for each other. And, and you know, we spend so much time nowadays just just figuring out ways to, to get our kids to get along. And, and, you know, we have home run derby contests. and you know, we go play paintball together. And, you know, I'd be willing, you know, throughout the summer, not, not one day a week, but once every other week where we'll just, you know, surprise the kids and do something fun with them. And, you know, this is, again, this is all with the common denominator that, that we're getting our work done. The kids are working hard, but I'm a big believer in culture and doing things, doing things the right way. And you come in every day, you have that focus. We don't really talk about goals, but we're more just kind of process oriented. Come in and do the best you can on a daily basis. You know, keep your head down. Um, enjoy the process, do the little things right. You know, we, you know, like you said, touching the line or getting behind the line or whatever, whatever the deal is, we're, we're all over, all over the details. Um, and some groups get in, some don't. And, and I think the big thing there is leadership on the team. You know, we were fortunate enough that Phil Dracovic, um, who was one of the top quarterbacks in the country, he was, um, went to Notre Dame a couple of years ago. He actually just transferred to Boston College, but he was a big, big, big time prospect, recruited by everybody in the country. And he was our hardest worker. So that was a huge benefit there, whether it was the weight room in February or summer workouts in June. He was always the first guy in line, the first guy in meetings, the last guy to stay, the hardest worker. So that was really, really beneficial for us as coaches to be able to have a guy like that. But, but everybody followed. And that was the, the great thing about it. Um, back to my original kind of point, the difference between the, the team when we lost and the team when we won was defense. You know, and – that's hard for me to say because in 2014, when we lost in the state finals, um, you know the, the name DeAndre Swift. He was just recently graduated. So that was the tailback that we faced. He played at Georgia most recently. Um, I think he might have been taken in the second round in this past draft. But nonetheless, they, we, we lost 49 to 42. So we scored 42 points. I was calling the plays. I was the head coach, offense coordinator. We scored 42 points and lost. After that season, I kind of vowed to myself, I'll, I'll never, ever, ever go down like that. I mean, there's no way you score 42 points and lose a football game, at least not here in Western Pennsylvania. Um, you know, so long story short, we kind of made, a, made an emphasis on, you know, playing better defense. Um, we kind of revamped that whole thing. And in 2017, when we won it, we revamped the whole thing. We kind of mocked, uh, you know, Michigan State's four, three quarters, uh, Pat Narduzzi just came to Pitt at the time, so I was able to spend a lot of time with him and his staff, kind of just replicated what they did, you know, put some twists on it to make it our own. But, you know, we needed to stop the run and play great physical defense. The offense was going to be there. Like, we, we're, we're a spread, um, you know, spread to run, but we'll throw it, you know, across the yard. And um, Baylor, big splits, RPO, all that good stuff. Uh, so the offense was there. We had that in place. Uh, but we had to play better defense. And I think that's what the difference was there from the team when we lost to when we won. We played great defense. Now, we had a, we had a, our offense was really good, obviously. We had a really good quarterback and good talent around him. But I, I think the difference between those – because we played the same team, 
Um, St. Joe's Prep out of Philadelphia, who's a you know national power, they're up there. You know, we we try to battle them. Uh, I think they they're got us. I think three wins to to two, but they're a national power, a great program out in Philadelphia. There, um, you know, but I th- I think back to my point, just you know, we played good defense, and it, I hate to say it, but you know, the old cliche defense win offense wins games and defense wins championship. And that's <laughs> kind of been been you know what we saw. Coach, man, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I love hearing kind of that insight, and it's it's amazing, you know, being – I was an offensive guy for, for so long as well, but, I mean, you start to sit down with the guys who win a lot of games. You know, for me, it was you know, guys like Alan Trimble, and and you know, he would always preach defense first. And it was, always, it was kind of hard, you know, being an, an offensive guy, but you started to kind of see why. You know, the, the, there's so few teams that, that really do play true, sound, great, defense because it's the emphasis especially I think in today's game you know where the emphasis is on being maybe a little bit flashy and scoring a lot of points you know it it might be a lot of fun but your your best programs are traditionally going to be the ones who you know don't hold people to you know 15 16 points a game anymore but force turnovers and and stop people a lot more than they do go down and score yeah, and, and that was that's exactly that was my fault you know I was the head coach offense coordinator you know we we were the high tempo, you know, no huddle, sexy offense. I wanted to score as many points as possible. And to, to, to my fault to, I mean, not saying we would have won the game, but we lost the state championship because I probably didn't pay enough attention to the defensive side of the ball. You, know, you can't let up 42 points in a state championship and, or score 42 and lose. Um, so then that's kind of – I'm an offensive guy. I was a quarterback. I played defense in college. So in 2017 – I, I vowed to myself I won't let that happen. So I actually switched. I'm, I've been the defense coordinator now for the past three years. Um, and to be completely honest, if there's any advice I can give any football coach, and I say this every time I speak, is coach on the other side of the ball. You know, again, I'm a, I'm a quarterback. I'm a offensive guy at heart. I'll eventually get back to the offense. But I'm so much better a defensive coach because of what I know on offense, you know, and, and to be able to just take those – things and I, I dove into defense again to kind of back in 17 when we before we won the championship and studied the crap out of it I've got a great staff that kind of bought into what we were going to do and um, you know now I love it now now it's like the different side you know I'm, I'm trying to break down these offensive guys I know what they're thinking <laughs> try to stay ahead of them and now, now it's kind of cool to try to all right you're going to do that well we're going to do this whereas an offensive guy it's like well you defensive guys you're not that smart we're just going to do what we do and we're, it's going to work you know so that's that's one thing I've always heard, you know, and, and really good head coaches, I think, at least around in this area in Oklahoma have talked about is the ones that are really good can coach almost every single position. And so if their staff needs a, a defensive coordinator, he can be a defense coordinator. He can be an offense coordinator. If the staff has a, a need at, you know, any of the positions, you know, on defense or offense, he can go, knows what he's talking about and can coach that position. And I think having that as your head coach obviously can be a, uh, a tremendous benefit because, you know, at, at a lot of places, you know, at, at the bigger schools, you know, uh, there's going to be great coaches, you know, or really good coaches at every position, but coaches transfer out, you know, middle of, of the year or, um, you know, things happen or a guy that you thought was going to be good doesn't end up being good or whatever the case is, doesn't end up getting his license when he thought you, he was going to to be able to go through that um, and, and have that coach, you know, go in there and be able to coach that at any position. And then also just for him to be able to talk intelligently to every single coach about their position, I think probably even a, even a bigger, you know, reason to have a head coach that knows both sides of the football. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, you're the head guy and, and that's the thing when you become a head coach, you, you do a little bit less football, um, generally speaking, that's why, you know, I, I'd like to try to maintain and coordinate something as much as I can, because as a head coach, you're pulled in so many different directions. I just pray for, I pray for a day when I show up to the facility, I can walk in, I can change my clothes. I can talk to our staff for a couple minutes. And then we go on the field without having, you know, to have a, 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 <laughs> an academic issue or a kid's sick or mm-hmm. hey, the starting quarterback, you know, his girlfriend broke up with him and he's sad, you know, list goes on and on and on, but yeah, you're right. I think right. the more well-rounded you are, you know, the more, um, you know, the credible you are and your kids, you know, look up to you and see, you know, this guy really knows what he's talking about. And again, to my fault, 
as a young head coach. I think uh, eight years ago, I was 35 years old. You know, I was all offense and it almost to, a, you know, to a fault, you know, I, I'd be in the, I, I wouldn't even know. I, I knew we were running a four down and I knew the structure of our defense, but I didn't put much time into it. And looking back, you know, you know, I, I kind of wish I regret that a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the more you can do that, the, the more you could be well-rounded on both sides of the ball, regardless if you're a head coach or not. I think you're, you're a better coach on the side that you're actually coaching. Coach, you know, with you being a former quarterback and, and understanding that position, you know, um, so, you know, at a, at a high level, obviously playing it, being a coordinator on the offensive side before. Um, and then you also hear about how important it is that a – I know, especially at the college and pro level, and I would assume at the high school level, you hear how important it is that the head coach has a somewhat of a relationship with the quarterback. Um, have Have you noticed that you know be, being a little bit easier because you played the position? Um, do you notice that that's been harder because you know he's being told one thing by the coordinator, but then maybe you've you've got other thoughts. You know, not to go against the coordinator, but you just say things that you thought as a, as a quarterback. And so now he's hearing a bunch of different things. What do you think that has been like because you did get to play the position? Has that been a benefit to your quarterbacks on your team and then to your team as, as a whole because you can have such a good relationship with that position? Without a doubt. And then obviously when I was calling the plays on the offense and I was the OC, then it was, you know, it was, it was simple. It was easy. I was the guy – I was pretty much the only guy to talk to him. We, we have a quarterback coach that will coach him up, but I was the first guy to speak to him. But now that that's a great question. Now that I'm on the defensive side of the ball, um, I would 100%. I don't want to create any type of animosity or any type of confusion. I'll let my quarterback coach now, my OC now, speak to him first. Once they're done, once they're done giving their message, if there's something I feel really strongly about, whether it's looking a certain guy off or maybe we should have done this, or, then I'll, I'll obviously voice my opinion there to him. But that that's something I, I had I've had to learn to kind of step back now and. You know, I know I'm not the smartest guy in the world. That's probably one of the better attributes I have as a head coach. I think my staff would say is that I let them coach. You know, and I, I, that was one thing when I was a young coach coming up certain points. You know, there's nothing worse than then not being allowed to coach. You know, so I, I employ my staff that they're going to be the best darn quarterback coach or the offense coordinator or the, the equipment manager. Or whatever. I'm going to give them a job. And I'm going to let them do their job. And, and if, the, if their, their kids aren't performing, well, then it's on them. And then they know that. But I think that makes them work that much harder. Um, and, and they take ownership of it. Coach, I think it's, it's interesting, too. I mean, you know, one, obviously, you know, flipping from OC to, to DC, which is, you know, always a, a huge change. But I, I also think it's, it says something, too. You know, I've, I've had a bunch of conversations with, you know, head coaches who – you know, once they became a head coach, maybe they stepped away from, you know, being the coordinator or, or being a position coach because it's either, you know, oh, you know, I want to walk around. I want to have, you know, my hand kind of in everything and be able to manage everything. But I also think there's a lot of guys who, you know, that, that was kind of your calling card. You know, it, it got you the job. You know, you, you were a good offensive mind or you were a good defensive, you know, coordinator. You know, I, I look at a guy like, say, you know, Gus Malzahn. You know, Gus Malzahn got the job because he's an unbelievable play caller. Well, you know, he gives up play calling duties and, and the offense isn't as good. It was a lot better with him kind of back doing it. And, you know, what are your kind of thoughts of, you know, being a head coach, but also still being a coordinator, knowing that, you know, it, it's kind of been your calling card and it's still going to be your stamp on the program and how it kind of keeps you involved in it. Because I think a lot of guys step away just because they think they should be the CEO. When in all actuality, it's like, man, you're, you're the best play caller. You're the best guy for this job. Why won't you do this job? Yeah, I, th I think I think I'll know that, right? I think I think that's something that I'm so passionate about it now. I mean, you know, I got I got three kids, a wonderful wife, and spend a lot of time with the family. But any any downtime I have, or even here at home, I'll just sit outside, you know, on the patio watching old YouTube games of past season, just just for fun. You know, uh, I'm still passionate about. It. I love it when there when the time comes where that passion is gone. And I'm not as, as much into the X's and O's and the scheme, et cetera. Um, then then I, I could I could easily be that CEO. But I'll, I'll tell you what, the fire's still there. That that time isn't anytime soon, at least for <laughs> me. But I, I could see how a lot of guys like that. You know, maybe maybe they they weren't a coordinator coming up and they were handed the job, not handed the job. They they got the job for whatever reason, and maybe they weren't ever an OC. Maybe it was a 
you know, offensive line guy, or maybe it was a defensive line guy or a line. And then I could see that, you know, but you got to surround yourself with good assistance. And um, I think it's all the same. And I've seen a lot of great programs across the country of all versions, right? Head coach, OC, head coach, DC, head coach, special teams coordinator and head coach slash CEO. You know, I don't think there's an exact formula, um, but you know, for me, it's just more of a passion thing. And as, as long as I'm kind of, you know, living and breathing it every day, then I'm going to continue to do that. Now the question will be how many more, you know, youth camps you got to get going, right? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, it's, it's booming around here. We got 170 kids out there. It's, it's awesome. Great weather, you know, um, and, and, you know, especially after the quarantine and all the stuff, Pennsylvania, I don't know about Oklahoma, but we were, it was strict, man. We were locked down for a solid two and a half months. Just got, you know, we, we had like red, yellow, green phase and, Finally just got to the green phase about a week and a half ago and we threw the camp together real quick and they're doing a great job, social distancing. We're, you know, we're sanitizing. Like I said, we're modifying some things, but um, yeah, the future's bright here in Pennsylvania for our youth. They love, they love the game. That's a, uh, that's obviously a, a huge, huge way to build your program is, is have those lower, lower levels uh, into football and, and all about it. And that's something we've seen at least with our high school kids is, they are excited to be at summer workouts. They're excited to do this stuff because they have been put up for so long because they've been away from their friends for so long. You know, they're really truly enjoying it more than I've ever seen them over the summer. So it's a really cool thing to see, um, see those kids, you know, enjoying it like they did when they were little kids, really our high school kids. So it's been fun. It'll be exciting to kind of see what it looks like after these few years um, because uh, you know, spring is just so long. I mean, January till, at least in Oklahoma, it's January till um, um, May is our off season. And that's a long time to, to just, you know, work out. And kids are bored, at least in college, you know, by March, you're getting to do some football, but working out that many months in a row can just get old and tiring. And, and it's been cool to see, you know, this forced two months off. Now the kids are back and, didn't really lose that much, uh, but came back with a, you know, a hunger and an excitement for, for even just for working out. No doubt. I'm excited. Like we got cleared for July 1st. So I'm hoping that we have a school board meeting Monday that we can get out there and get going soon enough. Um, you know, I know our guys are hungry. They're working out on their own and it's all, it's all equal here in Pennsylvania. Nobody started yet. Um, but we're right. Like, like you guys, I'm sure are chomping at the bit. Coach, I'm interested, you know, you, you said you, you go to, to Coach Narduzzi and you're going to learn, you know, his defense, you know, so kind of going into it with the mindset of we're changing on defense, we're going to do, you know, a lot of things different, you know, how did you kind of go about, I mean, asking him, learning him, was it just kind of learning the terminology first, or was it more kind of the, okay, what's your base defense, what are your best calls, and then how am I installing it, you know, kind of walk me through, you know, your mindset and in going into it, and then when you guys kind of implemented it, was it kind of, you know, straight up blueprint or was it, you know what, we're going to take a few of these principles and then we're going to kind of match it to, you know, what we do. Maybe we play a little bit more man, we play a little bit more quarters. I think that's a really, really cool story. You know, knowing we go to the finals, we give up 49 and then we go, man, we're making some wholesale changes on defense. Yeah. And it started, so we lost in 14, 15. I said that ain't happening again. So we, we changed the defense. We went to, I, I basically, took them – this is when Narduzzi was still Michigan State, and this is when they were playing great defense in, like, 15, 16 there. They had a bunch of those – you know, this is when Narduzzi made his name up there. Kind of studied that everywhere you could find on the internet. We broke down everything, studied everything, got as much film as we could, and we installed it. And this was 15, 16. 15, we were pretty good on defense. We made the semis, ended up losing. I was still calling the offense. Came back in 16 – Similar story. And then in that offseason, that's when – that's right around when Narduzzi came to pitch. So we were pretty good on defense, not great. I came over to the defensive side of the ball and, and went down. And obviously, just being a head coach and pitch right in our backyard, had a great relationship with Pat and his staff, got to meet those guys. And I was down there probably twice a week for three months, just sitting in meetings and listening and taking it all I could. And, um, you know, from the start, basic principles, we, we took it word for word. I mean, what they did and how they did it, how they set their front and what did they did here and blah, 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 blah. And we're going to stop the run and all that good stuff. And then as you develop, that was 2017. 
now it's three, three and a half, half years later, it's a hundred percent became our own. You know, we have different problems at high school than, than they do in, at the power five level, you know, or we're seeing different things than they are. We're seeing wing T flex bone stuff. We're seeing 10 personnel, 21 personnel, 32 per, you know, we see it all, as you guys know, probably out there in Oklahoma, you see, you see the whole, the whole deal. So we have our own problems and it's kind of evolved into our system, but, it a hundred percent started with, 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 what coach Narduzzi did there at Michigan state and how they set the front and, you know, principles of stopping the run. We played press quarters and all the adjustments there. I mean, obviously three by one, you have your own issues there. You got to handle, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, I, that's the beautiful thing about football. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I know you don't need to re- recreate the wheel. I'm going to look around and find something I like and we're going to take it and we're going to make it our own. Um, back in 14, um, I went down to Baylor and spent time with Art Bryles when, when they were killing it with, with, um, who was the quarterback, Robert Griffin, right? RG3. So when, when Baylor was on the map, went down there and spent a day with them. I sat six hours with Bryles and his staff and that's, we brought it back and that's when we went full sale spread. I mean, we were big splits and up here in the state of Pennsylvania, it was like, it was like a wing T team. Nobody knew how to defend it. They, they couldn't get lined up to it. I mean, we're throwing uncovered RPOs and now they cover you down and we're running inside zone into a, you know, four and a half man box. And, you know, it was stealing back then, but that's the beautiful thing about football and the internet people study and learn and catch up. But, you know, just trying to stay ahead of the game and back to your original question. Yeah, man, we just, you know, find what we like. We, we, we take it, make it our own. I got a great staff and kind of tweak it to where we, we need to see fit. So. You guys play quite a bit of man then, you know, with your, your pressure package, are you guys more of a, of a, of a zone pressure team? So our base defense is quarters press. So you think about it, that's a hundred percent basically cover zero. You know, we have match principles underneath our, you know, your linebackers will help underneath. So our base defense, it's, it, we call it, it's, it's quarters, but it's a glorified cover zero. If you really think about it, um, you know, if all four of those guys go vertical, it's, it's, you know, mm-hmm. you're four on their four. You might get a little, you might get a reroute, you might get a, a jam, but that's how we play that. Now, when we pressure, we're big into the hot pressures. Um, you know, the three deep, three deep, two under, we'll bring six. You know, whatever blitz pattern you want, you can double A gap, double edge, America's zone blitz, but we'll play hot coverage behind it just because, you know, if we're playing base defense, it's basically, in my mind, it's cover zero. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's attacking our linebackers. We see run, we're triggering right now. Um, you know, now if you're seeing an RPO team, an 11 personnel team, you have to do some things to, to make sure your overhang or your guys aren't in conflict. So we're very well aware of that. And that's what I love about the defense. It's, it's, it's set up to stop the run, but I know what the weaknesses are, you know, A, B, and C. And if a team's going to try to attack those, then we have answers for that. And, and I, I think that's the beautiful thing about football is, you know, the four, three, the three, four, the stack, um, the, the old 5-2 back, they're all great defenses, but they're only as good as, as you as a football coach or you as the coordinator that knows the answers to them. You know, I know I know quarters press, I know the weaknesses. You know, the weaknesses are the flats, right, and trying to attack the safeties, um, you know, on verticals. So if we're seeing a team that try, tries to do that, well, we have the answers. Um, you know, but we're willing to, to take that chance because we know the defense so well that, that we, we can – we can adjust in game. You know, I, I know the hot thing out there now is what the, the, the odd front, the mint, the tight front and all that. But I'll, I, I don't want to study that because I don't know how to, to, to correct it right now. You know what I mean? So maybe if, if the time comes, if I, I ever coach in Oklahoma, I, I, I'm, I'm guessing you guys see all 10 personnel. So maybe that is more fitting for you guys. But, you know, at this point, I think I can adjust our 4-3 our which is basically a four-two-five. If we're facing a ten personnel team, and we could do some different things up front as well, but uh, I, I just know it, and, and that's something that I think that you know. It, at the end of the day, back to my original point, we're going to stop the run, and we're going to play great defense and make you throw it to beat us. And if you can do that, well, then you know we'll, we'll be in, in, a, in a ball game. Yeah, it's uh, it's exactly right, coach, and and um, it, it is here in Oklahoma. It's mostly ten now here at six A level. Uh, us and and a few other teams, you know, like last year we we based out of twenty one and and really the the reason that we did that we had the players for it the past few years, but 
also because um, so many teams were 10 or 11. You know, probably 11 is, is what we see the most here. Uh, but there was so few 21 personnel teams that um, we wanted to be 21. We had some bigger guys, and, and we thought that it, you know, we kind of felt like we were the, the wing T team. You know, being in 21 personnel I, because so few teams here in Oklahoma had, at least at the 6A level, had seen that in the past few years. And if they had, they'd seen it on goal line, but uh, they weren't used to that on, you know, the 30-yard line uh, going out and, you know, first down and we're in 21 or 22 personnel. Uh, it it kind of gave everyone a different look. It was kind of the whole reason that, that we, we had done that in the past few years. Yeah, and that, that, that's funny you say that because even day one, whenever we do start up, we lost spring ball, obviously. But when we, when we install our defense, our day one install, we're, we're lining up versus 21 and we're, we're learning how to stop power and counter and all that good stuff. So um, that, that's, again, our basis, our fundamentals. We're going to stop the run. And even though we might not see 21 as much anymore, 11's kind of the sexy personnel out here, the why-off stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but nonetheless, they're running the same plays, right? They're gap scheme or zone scheme, whatever it is. Still got to fit it all up. But I'm, I'm still kind of, you know, we're going to line up first 21 pro, and here, here comes Power and Connor and ISO and stretch or whatever you're going to run out of it. Coach, I think, okay. I think that the teams that we kind of see that are, that are a little more, you know, 4-2-5, which I know you said you can get to, um, you know, 4-2-5, we like to kind of, or at least I, run game-wise, kind of like to go – you know, some formation into the boundary type stuff and, and, and run it at that, you know, maybe lesser side, that side they don't uh, – aren't necessarily, you know, they've got the overhang kind of as the extra guy to the field now, and now we've got our, our extra guy uh, into the boundary. And, and I think it kind of causes at times um, matchups, problems with defenses that, that aren't ready to, to change some things and, and either flip where, you know, they're, they're – third safety is or be able to roll down their other safety but even if they do you know maybe he's more of a coverage type safety do you guys get into to seeing that very often um formation of the boundary stuff if, if so uh, is that something that you know you guys have to you know, work on weekly to, to have answers for yeah i, I mean I, at that, versus the good teams yes um That's so right. we're, we're we're fielding boundary based and 100 percent. you know whatever your tendencies are are you're either lining up fib to motion back to the field, right? To get us to line that way, motion back and go to the field, or you're lining up there to run the ball there or throw your screens there, right? That type of thing. So we'll, right. we'll study that. And if you're a team that's going to line up in fib and try to attack us there, then we're going to take that Falcon, our field backer, right? Who normally would line up to the field. And that week per se, he would travel to the formation. So we would play it that way. But then if teams start to do it that, to line up fib and motion back to the field, then we'd have to keep them – we'd probably start keeping them to the field. So it would be a kind of a chess match there. And, and right. you know, you could tell you're a good football coach because you know, you know what? You're trying to make guys do things that they normally don't want to do, right? I mean, line up that way. Get us to a line into the boundary, and now you're going to motion back. And now our boundary backer has got to go out and play the field, field backer position, right, and stuff he's not normally used to doing. So, yeah, that, that's, that's stuff that we practice. Again, we know that's a weakness to what we do. And if we're t- facing a team that will do that, then 100%, that's something that we got to kind of rep and get ready for. But, yeah, that's, that's a great question. Coach, you know, coaching defense, um, I'm, I'm always fascinated. I mean, I, I love, you know, working with our defensive guys. It's fun. And, and to be able to do some crossover work with them, you know, being an offensive guy. But, you know, I, I just love, you know, the, the attention to, to detail, especially during the week on, you know, fundamental play, you know, block destruction and tackling. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, it sounds like obviously you know, you said it a bunch of times in the podcast, you know, number one, we're going to stop the run. So, I mean, that means, you know, taking on double teams, destroying blocks, and then obviously tackling guys when you get the chance to tackle. How do you guys kind of, you know, teach those things? I mean, I guess maybe a better question is how do you guys kind of schedule that into practice to make that, you know, really a, a big time emphasis, or is it something maybe you guys, you know, we're more about having the entire front seven or front eight with safeties, whatever you want to say, and, and working fits. I'm always interested to hear that when you are emphasizing stopping the run. Yeah. So uh, great question. Uh, early, early in camp. So just say we start up here in fall camp, our 12 days of camp, we do block destruction every single day. We, I stole this from Ohio state again, just, you know, with the mindfulness of trying to, you know, 
we want to be physical, but we, we don't want to take kids to the ground, blah, blah, blah. So they do a, a, it's called strike and snag. So basically it's a block destruction drill. So we're working on our, you know, our punch and then getting off the blocks. So that's something we'll do every day of camp with all positions. So we'll call kids out. It's a great way to create, create competition. Um, we do a strike and snag drill and you, you can incorporate a ball, a dummy, et cetera. But point is, and this is something that I tell the kids all the time, once we get into a game week, we will do block destruction three. So Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we will do block destruction on defense. And, and why do you ask it? Well, what does the offense, what, do they block every day? Heck yeah, they block. Their fullbacks are blocking. Their offensive line's blocking. If you're playing a 10 personnel team, those receivers, they're blocking every day. So if we're going to be great at stopping a run, and when I say stop the run, that includes, you know, all the quick game screens you're seeing nowadays, the now screens, the bubbles, our, our field backers, our backers, our corners, if we're playing any type of cover two, they got to be great at block destruction, getting off blocks and taking it to the offense. So that is something that we stress and practice every single day of the season. Other than our pregame practice, we will do some version of block destruction every single day. Coach, I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, being, being the head coach and then also being on the defensive side, um, and, and as we talked about, you kind of realizing or, or coming to the realization that, that you believe that, you know, defense has helped you obviously get over the biggest hump, which is winning the state title. How do you guys sit down as a staff and decide what kid is going to play what position? You know, <laughs> I, uh, offense, is he playing, you know, is he playing DB, is he a receiver, is he our – you know, tight end or is he our linebacker? Is he an offensive lineman or defense lineman? I think that's an argument that probably every staff in America has. How do you guys go about answering that question? That, that is such a great question. It's, it's actually hard to answer. And it, it almost comes down to a case-by-case -case basis. Now, let me preface, preface it with this. We are in the biggest classification. Um, we have 1,500 students, um, which, which is a, on the very smaller end of the biggest classification. I don't know how big you guys are in Oklahoma, but I will play some schools that have, you know, enrollments of 2,500 to almost 3,000. Um, but just, just so you know, on a, on a team 10 to 12, we'll have roughly 65 kids. So our top four or five kids will play both ways to some extent. Now, in a perfect world, we try as much as we can to just let guys play on one side of the ball. Uh, but we do our, our top two or three kids, other than the quarterback, um, will likely play on both sides of the ball, at least a little bit on that other side, just because we don't have enough kids to do it. But to your point, it's hard. That's a discussion. And that's something that probably on a daily basis after our, our practices, we'll go in as a staff and we talk personnel all the time. And that is, to be honest, probably the one thing that I'm most scared about over this quarantine, because like you said, we, you know, from February through May, you're with the kids. You're seeing them lift. You're seeing them compete. Then you go, go to spring ball and practice, or you're on the field doing drills, whatever your state allows. You're seeing the kids grow and develop, and, and you can kind of make decisions, you know, or at least it'll sway you a certain way. Now, now going back here with only four weeks to practice, we have a handful of kids that, exactly what you said, is he going to play receiver or is he going to play DB? Is he going to be the linebacker or is he going to be the H-back? And we don't know because we haven't seen him, you know. Right. So it's hard, and I'd like, I'd like to say that we'd err and, and maybe bring him over to the defensive side of the ball, but – it, it, it is, to be honest, it's a it's a case by case basis. What what can help the team the most? Um, you know, maybe not about that kid, but more more importantly, if that kid's going to go there, who who's behind him that could step up and and not have that much of a drop off? So that's hard. I I, I feel like that's kind of a cop out on an answer, but uh, yeah, it's it's just kind of case by case. And like you said, that's something that we we battle with all the time. And we have probably four scenarios right now that we were just texting with today on a group chat of kids mm -hmm. that. We need to get back to make some decisions. And, it's, and, you know, usually in a perfect world by now, those decisions are made, right? We're getting into seven-on-seven seven season, and we'd have those kids where they want to be, and we're seeing them out there repping it. And then come July, man, we feel pretty good about it. Now it's going right. to be uh, – we're up to the wall. So, Coach, when you talk about personnel, you know, for, for your defense, you know, what, what positions are kind of linchpins within, you know, your defense? I mean, obviously we – we want to have all, all 11 guys, you know, good teams will, will find the one guy that might not be, you know, up to snuff. But, you know, when you have playmakers and dudes, what positions do you try to, to have those guys or where would you like to have those guys? Yeah, so at the linebacker position, um, our bandit, our boundary backer, 
that's usually our best guy. He's usually the guy that's running down a lot of stuff. He's usually our leading tackler. He has been the past three years. Um, our field backer, right, that's another kid, especially if you're playing out where you guys are a lot of 10 personnel teams. That guy has got to be able to hold his own out there versus all the screens, um, RPO stuff. We find, you know, if a team likes to run perimeter, jet sweeps, um, you know, outside zone, he's got to be able to take on, be, be just a, a, a dude out there. Um, so those two linebackers are very important. Our field safety has got to be a, a, our best our best DB, right? I mean, that's a guy that offenses are nowadays really trying to single up, especially in our defense and a quarter's defense. They're going to put their best receiver at that field number two. So that guy's got to be a great cover guy. Um, and then on a defensive line, I, I don't know, you guys being offensive line guys, I believe you both are. Um, the three technique – is what a lot of people say they put their def best defense alignment. We actually, at least at the tackle spot, we tend to put our best guy at the nose, right? Because mm -hmm. what happens to the three? He's always double teamed, right? So at the nose, he's oftentimes he, – we play him in a shade. We'll play him in a G back there at times, depending on the formation. Um, so we, we tend to put our guy there because he could cause the most disruption, right? And then obviously the end, we go back and forth. Like some, some years we play a field boundary end. Some years we play a strong weekend. Some years we play our right left end, you know, um, but we've been fortunate the past few years to have some pretty good kids there. Uh, we put our little bigger guy to the, to the uh, field and our quicker guy to the boundary there. Um, yeah, but I'd say the, the field backer, the boundary backer, and then the field safety to answer your question. I think, I think the boundary corner, we're a press, like I said, we're press corners. Um, our boundary corner needs to be able to cover. Right. But again, I, I'm at, kind of the philosophy that everybody thinks, oh, you press, you have to have great, great, crazy athletes. Well, I kind of disagree. You know, we, we've played great defense with a couple corners that were maybe four, eight guys, four, seven guys at best that just played great technique, you know, could stay on top of the receiver at the, the initial stem. And by then, if the ball's not gone within, you know, 1.8 to two seconds, then, you know, stuff's usually kind of – that quarterback's off his spot, you know, so – um, I know it's a long-winded answer, but um, those those positions seem to be the most important for us. No, I think I think it was really I th always think it's really interesting to see what what a team does with like you said their interior defense alignment. And I was just talking to somebody about this the other day, but um, I, I think a lot of times from what I hear from guys in the NFL is that you know they're going to have a great defensive end, and and it all comes down to the money they can pay, but. They're going to have a good defensive end. And, and so, you know, offensive lines are going to pay big bucks for their tackles. And yep. then they're going to not pay much for their guards and centers. You know, obviously, that's different for every team. But for the most part, that's going to be their underpaid guy. And so, you know, defensive lines like to put their, their freak pass rusher, you know, that's a little bigger guy, at the three technique because now an offensive line's got to kind of pick. Do we slide – you know, if we're going to slide to the defensive end, now we're putting – our guard, you know, man on, you know, manned up with a three technique and pass protection. And, but, but in high school, obviously, you know, it's, it's a completely different game. And, and we've seen guys do a bunch of different things. And, you know, the odd teams that have the, the dude at nose that kills our centers. And, and we've had, like you said, some teams that they're going to put their guy at three technique. Um, I'm kind of curious how you guys do it if you see it much. Um, I, I know just, just hearing that. If, if I knew a team had like a, an awesome three technique and, and, but we had a good like left tackle, we would get into a lot of, of trading our tight end. So we put our tight end on the right, you know, let you yep. guys let a defense set the front, put the three technique to that side if, if that was their guy, you know, and then trade across to now see if they're going to shift over or if they're going to, you know, rotate everybody um, and then try to run it at the three that now is the lesser guy with our better tackle. Do you guys see much, much trading of the tight ends? If so, is that something that you guys just work on shifting over? Is that something that you guys flip, you know, uh, your defense? How, how does that work? How do you guys work through a, an offense that likes to trade? Yeah, so we have a pretty cool way to do it. I mean, I, I think it's cool. Um, you know, so we, we get a tight end trade. We, we, call, we call it tough. So we we post snap we post post snap stem to to an overfront. So if you mm -hmm. trade the tight end, we'll just make a tough call. And once the ball is snapped, we'll slant the line 
to, to that side. Now, when I say that, we won't just bury ourselves in gaps. So we'll, we'll, we'll play, we kind of use a, you know, front side, back side. We'll, we'll go off, off the butt or Don Brown in Michigan calls it cheeking. You know, so we'll do a lot of that and we can steal gaps that way. But that's something that we've had a lot of success with. I don't know who I took that from about four years ago. But, you know, the, the old way, of, like you said, tight end trades, all right, shift. And then we get up and we either shift our whole line down or we take our three and shift them over. Yeah, we don't do any of that. We do a little post-snap stem and, and do it. Now, obviously, if, if you're a team that does it every play. Or right, you're going to have different answers. Yeah, we'll have different answers. We could spike the front side a little bit. Again, you know, just I think the worst thing you could do, and again, I could speak for high school, is is line up in, in an over front, and when the ball snapped, we're going to be in an over front, right? Because that's <laughs> yeah. how you as an offensive line guy, you're repping it on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday that they're going to be an over front, and this is how we're going to block it. So as a defense coordinator, shame on me if I allow my defensive line, especially to be in that look. You know, so we're just trying to create different looks. And, you know, now all of a sudden they're – you're blocking power into a shade versus a three, and that's not what you practiced all week. And all of a sudden, now the D lineman slants across his face, and mm-hmm. now we got linebackers, you know, running in the backfield, you know. But again, it, that, that's a beautiful thing of coaching. It's cat and mouse. You now we start doing that, and then you have an answer, and then we, you know, we have to have an answer to whatever you guys are going to do next. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the one of, and and we don't see it a ton here in Oklahoma, um, but we do have you know one really good team that does it. Um, and, and they shift, you know, out of 10 plays, maybe it's three plays on the defensive line, but it's enough that we've got to really – it's something that causes me a lot of time. And, and not only does it cause me a lot of time to get it blocked, but I think it just pairs down our run game so much because we've got to be able – you know, it's – mostly it's a team that runs a uh, – like a 3-4 under front. Yep. So, they you know, they're shaded – shaded three four um but though most of the time they're going to be under the to the tight end and then every once in a while they're going to wait and shift to basically an over front um you know to the tight end move the shade to the backside and and walk up the opposite outside linebacker and and we've gotten to where we we do a pretty good job of it but it takes us a couple weeks of of repping that and it pairs down our run game and it makes us communicate and i i think that it makes an offensive line coach really, you know, work for their money um, and and be prepared. And I think that if they're not, you can get a, you can get some teams. It's not. I wouldn't think that it's just real expensive to do on defense, but um, you know, you can get some false starts. You can get some bad IDs. Uh, you can get a lot of things out of a what seems like at least as an offensive guy a, a fairly simple thing of of shifting from an under to an over or from a three and a shade to a shade and a three um, and, and causing some confusion. Yeah. And that, that I'll be honest, that's something that we've always done. Some, we all, we've always done post snap movement. We've always, you know, screwed around with stem in the front pre-snap and maybe, you know, it's, I think I equate it to like an offense, like you'll see an offensive team that trades the tight end. Yeah. They'll do it the first drive. They might do it the second drive because the coach is calling off a sheet, but once the game gets going, it, it tends to go away. Right. Um, and I, that's kind of how I used to be on defense, pre-snap stemming. I'd do it a couple times, first drive or two, and then I kind of – you almost forget about it. And then – so that's a big uh, thing that we're focused on this offseason. There's a lot of pre-snap stemming. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that was a big trend in college football. You know, almost moving – I don't want to say every play, but moving almost every play. Again, just creating a different picture – for that offensive line, right? I, like I said, the worst thing is to be static and let them make their calls and have it be that way. So we're, we do a lot of post-snap. We've always have, but incorporate a lot more pre-snap stemming, but keeping it simple for our guys. I mean, that's, that's without a doubt the underlying tone with whatever we do in our program is simplicity. You know, I, I always err on the side of being simple so our kids can play fast. Coach, I, I've kind of had an argument, and I don't know why even what brought this up, but I've kind of had an argument uh, with anyone that will listen to me that – and I'm excited to hear from a guy that's been on both sides, but that offenses that run, you know, a no-huddle offense but don't use a high tempo, to me is – is it would be more beneficial, if you're going to do that, to get in a huddle and break and go out there and run your play. Uh, simply just because it seems to me like if you're going to not get in a huddle, 
but you're also not going to have a, a high tempo. You're giving the defense 25 seconds to get lined up, decide what they want to do, see your formation, see where your dude's lined up, um, and, and they've got all the time in the world to do whatever they want to do. You know, what? To, to me, if you're going to go no huddle, you know, the almost, to me, you'd want to be up-tempo because now they're trying to make decisions on the run and, and get things communicated and go and we're snapping the ball. But if we're not doing that, I would much rather huddle, break out of it at a decent pace, and make them have to d- decide, okay, they're in a 10-personnel type formation, or now they're in 11. Okay, they're, they're dudes playing, you know, receiver to the boundary, and then hopefully by the time they're trying to make these decisions, it's about time to snap the ball, not them sitting there for 20 seconds deciding, you know, okay, I know the percentages out of two by two are this with him here. Um, what are your thoughts on that being on both sides of the ball uh, throughout your, your coaching career? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think as an offense, um, you, you kind of got to be one or the other. You know, if you're going to be full speed, fast, no huddle. Um, and, again, I think that's kind of gone now, right? I think I think that fads over a little bit. I think the best offenses are the ones that change tempos. Not just go fast, but change tempos. Have the ability to go fast, but then have the ability to slow it down and then, you know, use your look cadence or – you know, where you fake the cadence and look to the sideline, be able to do both. I think those are the most potent offenses. But, yeah, I, like you said, if you, if, you, if you don't have a big menu, if you're not shifting and motioning and trading the tight end and, and running a bunch of different stuff, then, yeah, you might as well held up 100%. Um, yeah, I, like I said, back to my point there, I think that the most – the toughest defense or the toughest offense to defend are the ones that can change tempos. Because – it's like anything. I mean, we all play baseball or t-ball at some point, I'm sure. If somebody throws the ball the same pitch over and over and over again, he might get me the first couple of times, but eventually I'm going to figure it out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn the speed of it. I kind of equate that to offenses. You know, we, we kind of learned that, you know, throughout the process here that going fast all the time, yeah, you, you'll get them the first time. You'll get them, but you need to be able to change tempos and, and slow the tempo down and then regain that advantage. And, again, that's something that Gus Mel's on. I studied him for years. and just with his sugar huddle and going fast and then slowing it down when you need to, you know, it's third down, you need to slow it down and get a play. And all of a sudden now you got the tempo going again. And, you know, that's the beautiful thing about, you know, no huddle offense is, is just maintaining that advantage by, you know, the oxygen plays. Right. And that, that's my point of going press on defense because I don't want to give offenses oxygen plays. I don't want to give them hitches out there for five yards because that's what they want. Right. They want to, they want to throw a hitch and, and they want to throw a bubble and gain five yards. Now it's second and five, and now they're speeding up, and they're, they're running their stuff. I want to keep them off balance. I want to make them earn everything they get. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with you on that. Well, Coach, rolling up here now on an hour, but, but before we cut you loose, um, the thing that I always like to ask guys is, uh, when you're watching another team's offensive line, what's some things they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? Wow, that's that's good. We we play some good good offensive lines here. You know, one of our big rivals here in the state of Pennsylvania. They had five guys a couple of years that all went to the Power Five. They have five. I mean, think about that: five offensive linemen and all went Power Five. <laughs> so it was a really really good football team. Tough tough to tough to defend without a doubt. Um, and I think the biggest thing that I look for is that they're all on the same page. They're all working together. They're all in um, cohesion. You know, when we do, like kind of back to my point, when we do some of our post-snap movements, when we do some of our games on third down, that they, they're very easily uh, picked up, right? They, you know, we run a, a tech stun or an ET. Um, they're just passing guys off and very, just very well coached, um, you know, versus a team where you'll play and you'll run a, a little game and a guy comes running scot-free. Those are the, the, the kind of the, the kids that I don't think are very well coached. So. I guess to answer your question, there's in cohesion, working together, um, tough, physical, play to the echo of the whistle, um, nasty type of kids. I mean, that, 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 those teams are just well coached and kids that I, you know, coaches I respect uh, to the utmost degree. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, 
Simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.